I don't know if you're the sort of person who um, shares what they're feeling easily. I don't like to wear my heart on my sleeve. It makes me feel vulnerable. And so I'm less likely to let on how I'm feeling. And there are times where you actually need to sort of open up a little bit and crack open. Um, and it, it might just be because I'm British. And the, Brit the Brits are renowned for having a stiff upper lip, aren't they? And I want to talk this morning about a healthy biblical view of, of grief and grieving and sharing in that grief. And um, Last week, William said that Christianity is a team sport. And I, I actually believe so is mourning and grieving. And I think that's a biblical view. And I'm going to have a little look at that. But first, I wanted to read to you uh, the first few paragraphs of an article I saw written by a travel journalist and he wrote it November last year. <coughs> the street cleaner was sitting at a small table outside Leadenhall Market in central London, his gaze fixed on a large mug of tea in front of him. I'd met the 60-something-year-old man a few weeks earlier on a previous visit to the market. Back again, he asked, not looking at me as I took a seat at the next table. Yes, just for a quick visit, I replied. For a few moments, we sat in silence, staring at the 19th century market. Do you see Boris's speech last night? He eventually murmured. I nodded. Covid, he said, in a way one might complain about noisy children. He gave a slight shake of the head, more in mild irritation than anything else, before draining his tea and standing up. Oh well, better crack on. With a brief nod in my direction, he disappeared through the Grand Archway and into the covered Victorian-era market. It was a very British interaction. Understated, good-humoured, light on the emotions, this was British <laughs> stoicism at its best. Visitors to the UK will notice that our lexicon comes with a wonderfully wide variety of phrases that encourage or urge on the face of adversity. Muddle through. Plug away, chin up, soldier on. Or it says, he says, to name just a few. Facing adversity with one's head held high is an intoxicating image for British people. And the, the, the article goes on to say, is the British stiff upper lip uh, losing its place in British, British society? And is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, my view is that sometimes it's very useful to be able to hold in what you're feeling. As a teacher, when you, there's chaos all around you in the classroom and you're panicking inside, it's not good to let that out. <laughs> and there are times where holding in your emotions are very useful. It can be helpful. And during the COVID pandemic, many of us have suffered losses not necessarily always the loss of a loved one, but we might have lost the ability to meet together in family gatherings. We've lost the ability to do funerals properly. Even the loss for some of going into the office every day was a form of trauma, which they didn't really want to say was trauma to them, but actually postponed weddings, holidays being cancelled, lots of loss and any loss, any loss at all, can cause us to experience grief. 
Now, obviously, the bigger the loss, the greater the grief. But if you lose your jumper, your favourite jumper, there's a sense of loss. But it's not the same as losing a loved one. So there's this psychiatrist, psychiatrist who's a Christian, who Andrew and I both bumped into online uh, independently and both said, what a, what a great, what some great things this chap says. He's called Kurt Thompson. He's a Christian and he always brings the word of God into what he's trying to explain, but he is a, uh, an interpersonal neurobiologist. Yeah, I think that's what he is anyway. But um, he, he defines uh, grief as the... Well, let me get it right. Our emotional inflammatory response to loss. And that could be loss of anything, an emotional inflammatory <coughs> loss. It's like he's, he's describing it like a wound, a physical wound, where something becomes inflamed. And like I just said, if it's a bad wound, then it needs longer to heal and might even need specialist help. And if it's a little wound, like you just scratch yourself in the bushes, pulling out brambles, then that might just heal on its own. And it's the same with our grieving. And um, when obviously when it's more important to you, it's the thing you've lost is more important to you. The grief is much stronger, as I've said. Well, in John chapter 11, I think we get a brilliant picture of the humanity of Jesus. It's where Lazarus dies um, because we see Jesus as... Um, human in his weeping and in his grieving even though he knows what he's going to do he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead um, but also we see the divinity of Jesus the fact that he is divine he is God because he raises the dead also and I think there is some things we can learn about Jewish society and learn from Jewish society in this passage so I'm going to read to you from John chapter 11 it says now a man named Lazarus was ill he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I'm going to jump to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, yes Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I just want to pause there. Something's come into my head that isn't in my notes. <coughs> if you'd have been here, Jesus, my brother wouldn't have died. And I feel like there's that feeling in some of us that, God, if you'd have shown up at that event, things would have been better. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and we need to surrender and trust and obey. Trust and obey. Jesus, if you'd have shown up, Jesus, if you'd have been here, if, if you'd have been here in that car crash, if you'd have been in, here in that illness, if you'd have been here when that situation happened that was traumatic for me, it, you could have prevented it if you'd have shown up. I know you're omnipresent. You were here. Why? Didn't you help me the way I would expect you to help me? I wonder if anybody feels like that this morning. I just sense to stop and ask that question. And look at Jesus' response. Back to the text, verse 33 of John 11. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The God who is, is with us in our grieving. Even the God who knows what the future holds, even the resurrection and the life can grieve with us in our grieving. He knows our humanity. He shares our, and understands our grief. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for days. F-O-U-R, four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if 
you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now there's loads we could say about that story, loads of things we can pull out of it. But I just wanted to focus in on observing what was happening in the house of Mary, Martha and Lazarus and what was happening in Jesus' response to this death. The first thing I noticed was, in connection with other scriptures, that mourning was a normal part of Jewish practice. It was a normal part of Jewish practice. It says in verse 19, And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This was what they did. We got together and we comforted one another in our loss. In our oneness as a church fellowship, we comfort one another. It's healthy. It's normal. Jairus' daughter in Mark 5, you see the mourners around the room. Jairus' daughter has died and there are mourners already in place. Mourning was part of the culture. And all the way back into the Old Testament where King Saul dies, who's been chasing David down, trying to kill David, David mourns for, for King Saul. And Jonathan honouring the position of the king. And it says in one Sam, sorry, 2 Samuel 1 verse 11. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan. And for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel. Because they'd fallen by the sword. It was a normal part of Jewish culture to enter into a time of mourning and it's been part of our culture too and some of the formal ways of mourning have been lost over the years but I think they're healthy. Grief must be acknowledged. Going back to the stiff upper lip we can shrug things off can't we? We can just pull ourselves together and if you're a man you can be hard and say you know I'll just carry on like some of these heroes on, on, the, on some of the films you might watch. You know, they just get on with it. They seem unaffected by things. But there's, some, there's a wound deep inside. It might not be a flesh wound, but it's a heart wound in a spiritual sense. If I sprain my ankle walking the dog and I don't acknowledge that, the next day, I will, if I go out for a walk with the dog, I'm going to suffer consequences. I have to acknowledge the fact that I have an injury. And in the same way, if I have an, an emotional wound and I don't acknowledge it, it's unhealthy for me. We need time to grieve. But the danger is we look around us and we say, well, there's people worse off than ourselves. But that doesn't undermine what you're going through. There's people worse off than ourselves. So we belittle our emotional injuries. 
And the problem is, if we carry on, we get another moment of trauma or grief. The problem is we, we belittle that one as well. It becomes a habit of pushing it down. But, but then what happens is when something sad happens, all these little emotional um, grieving points that you've pushed down, they all pop up because the brain sees an opportunity to grieve because you're feeling sad. So if you're feeling sad about something little, but it just feels emotionally overwhelming. It's probably because you're sad about something else and somewhere in your head, you're just trying to deal with it. It's God's way that we, he's wired our brains that way so that the brain sees an opportunity to deal with stuff. So sometimes we feel extra sad. And if, if you're feeling more sad than is proportionate to what you've been through, it's quite likely that there are other griefs that you haven't expressed and dealt with. And in the story, we see a very healthy approach to dealing with the loss of a biological brother and someone who was, who was greatly loved. The second thing I noticed was that, like I mentioned before, mourning was a group activity. Grieving was a group activity. In verse 31, it says, The Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, and then it talks about how they, they, they're wondering where she's gone when she goes out to meet with Jesus. They were in her house. They didn't just pay lip service or tweet her or whatever it is you do these days saying, uh, you know, sad face emoji, uh, your brother died. They were in her house physically. They were with her. They were in her business. They were part of her life. They were coming alongside her. They were part of her network. And in this world of independence, we need to regain some interdependence and get alongside one another it's great to see Mark um, organising things for the men. And I know, women, you're asking for something similar, but the Lord has laid on Mark's heart to get the men together. So he's obeying the Holy Spirit. And so we're just trying to be a little bit spirit-led about it rather than run off in our own strength. Oh, we'll do a women's ministry as well. So women, be patient. Let the men go first and lead the way. And I know that's probably sexist these days, but let the men go first and lead the way. I just feel that's God has asked Mark to do this. And on the 27th, in a couple of Saturdays' time, um, the men are getting together again for a breakfast at the guardhouse. So if you haven't heard about that and you want to be on the men's WhatsApp group and find out about that because you, uh, you know what WhatsApp is, um, see Mark at the end. But it's, it's good. It's healthy. We're not doing anything big and spiritual and having testimony times and, and having a preacher come in or anything. We're just learning to network we're learning to stand shoulder to shoulder together and nick bacon off Mark's plate and just have a laugh, have a bit of banter. Because that's what we need. We need interdependence. And blokes need to muck around with blokes and talk in blokish ways. That isn't the way the world does it, which is rude and naughty sometimes. We just need to have some healthy banter and, and be together. And then when one of us is suffering, it slips into place easily that we're in each other's house. There was a head of year when I was starting um, at school. I was probably in my second year of teaching. And his wife died of cancer. And there was a, a manager above, above them. And um, he was known. Well, his, one thing that was said about him, he was called... I won't say what it was called because we're online, but he was, it was said, this person is not the one whose wife died, the one who was above him as a manager, said he's never happier 
than, than when he's shouting at children. Because he was just this belligerent, hard-nosed teacher. That when this chap died, his wife died of cancer, <laughs> he, was, he was at the door. It was at the door of this man's house, this teacher's house, with a four-pack of lager in his hand and tears streaming down his face. That was blokes doing what blokes do. Being together. That's how we were designed, to be interdependent. So anyway, that's what was happening in this story. The women were in the house, grieving. And we haven't got round to teaching all of our four values, and we'll keep going round them as... As the years go on, I think, just talking about, as a value, we put the word of God as a priority. We have uh, worship as an encounter with Jesus and living lives for him. We have uh, some other ones, and then one of them is one oneness, work. He has work for us to do, and he wants to work in us. I believe he's working in us now as we listen to his word. But the last one on the list is oneness. It's so important. It's so important that we learn to be and um, oneness God's way requires openness oneness doing it God's way requires openness and sometimes we've got to wear our heart on our sleeve a tiny bit not oversharing because that's just annoying and nobody wants to talk to you after a while but finding the right people who will listen so we've got the idea that it's part of Jewish culture and it's healthy. We've got to acknowledge these things. We've got to get them out. We've, we've, we've seen that it's a team sport. The next thing I noticed um, is that Jesus didn't discourage outward expressions of grief. He didn't tell them to pull themselves together. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, he said, didn't I tell you I was the resurrection and the life? Pull yourself together. <laughs> And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He wasn't troubled because they had lack of faith. He was troubled because he could see in the moment how it felt. And then we see that Jesus himself expressed grief. He wept. He wept. Someone said he was just empathising with, with, with their grief. But I think Jesus, who loved Lazarus, even though he knew what was going to happen, he's in the moment with us and he knows how we feel, but he also feels it too. That's how beautiful Jesus is. He weeps with us. Paul would later write to the Romans, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And Jesus was doing that. He was there in the moment. He expressed grief. He wasn't afraid of tears. And last, I think, but I have got to turn the page, there might be more. Um, Jesus expressed grief even when he knew that Lazarus would soon be alive again. Just wanted to address that more directly. Jesus, once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now, this isn't Jesus winging it and thinking, oh, I'll tell you what, I know what I can do. I could raise him from the dead. He's already said, he's deliberately waited a couple of days. He's already said this won't end in death. He's hinted at it by saying, don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life? He knows exactly what he's doing. And yet he's still deeply moved. And I would say to us, it's okay to mourn even when we know the end is good. We are here now. So even though, you know, you know we've got the, um, the end in sight, 
We can look beyond, as we were told by the Lord through my dad about a month and a half ago, maybe. Look beyond. We can look beyond. But there's a kind of fake faith, fake triumphalism where we say, oh, I'm not grieving because I'm looking beyond. Well, even Jesus mourned and he could see beyond better than anybody. So don't feel bad about feeling sad. I made that little rhyme up just now. I feel quite clever. And the last point, Jesus demonstrated power over the cause of grief. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. He also said that in this world you would have trouble. And you could read grief for that. In this world you will have grief. But we are to fear not or we are to be of good cheer. For he has overcome the world. Yes, he weeps with us. Yes, he understands our grief. But he wants us to process it with him and walk us into a new season. So the girls are going to come back and we're going to sing. We can start playing. Just got a few words to say to summarise and we'll pray. And then we'll stand and sing, Great Are You Father. Part of the words that we're about to sing says and oh when the night falls all around if darkness should cloud my way with songs of victory you lead me on until that glorious day if we to really sense the victory if we to feel it all the way down we need to get out some of the stuff and have some healthy mourning healthy grieving maybe there's something in there for somebody today who just hasn't quite fully processed the grief yet of something that's happened either in the past or over the last few years. I would suggest you find the right people to talk to, people who love Jesus and people who will listen without prejudice and just allow you to tell the story. One person actually said when we were collecting names, um, it actually feels better now I've just told you that. Now I've just given you those names and a bit about them. Just... A little bit of sharing goes a long way. Maybe you're called to be the listening ear. Maybe you're the one who will sit and just maybe be a bit bold and dig a bit deeper when someone's, you know, there's just those little signs that there's something that might open up. Just ask that little question that might be a bit more incisive. A question that might just help them get the, um, get the rubbish out, get it talked through. Guys, don't man up too much. It's good to talk. Let's sing. Let's pray. Sorry, let's pray and then we'll sing. Apologies. Father God, I just thank you for your word. And I, I just thank you for this beautiful story. And there's so much in it we haven't addressed. But just to see that Jesus, Son of God, creator of the universe, and yet human, grieving with us, represents a God who cares. And we thank you that we can talk to you about our grief. And we thank you that you do put us in community and you put us in church family and real families. <coughs> I just pray you'll help us to learn to be very healthy 
about the way we process trauma, process grief, and that we will sing those songs of victory with such joy and enthusiasm and reality because we have experienced something of being set free in Jesus' name.